0: Moses calls the people to listen attentively, and he says these important words to them. He says, love God, your God, with all of your heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Give them, get them inside of you, and then get them inside your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street, Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall in bed at night. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city gates. Both ancient and contemporary Jews refer to these words as the Shema. It's repeated at the beginning of each new day by those who seriously want to live a godly life. And ever since Moses spoke these words, Uh, parents who want their children to have a living faith in God have followed this very uh, these very words may it serve as a reminder today as we think about the this passage in Deuteronomy uh, of our role to pass on faith to the next generation let's bow in a moment of prayer shall we surprising and persistent God you never give up on us Uh, you seek us you follow us you call us to yourself We cannot escape from your yearning for us, and only when we turn to you do we find the sweetness of life and the the reason for living in that ever-flowing fountain of joy. So thank you for your amazing grace that continues to surprise us and comfort us and renew us. Give us hearts full of gratitude this day that we might always sing your praise, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever wondered if your children or your grandchildren will have faith in God as the years go by? The same was true in the time when Moses lived. At the end of four decades of frustrating wandering in the wilderness, Moses spoke to the Israelites about what life would be like in the Promised Land. Now sometimes I think we, we uh, view this uh, Promised Land as a place where there would be no temptations, you know, an ideal place, but it was not so. They were about to be scattered throughout the land, they would be confronted by people whose values and lifestyle and faith uh, were altogether different from their own. It was necessary for them to be able to survive and even thrive as the people of God in, an, in this new hostile environment. And how would they do that? How would they ch- teach their children to thrive among people who had very different values? I think the same question faces us today, doesn't it, as parents, as grandparents. Will our children have faith in what uh, did the people in Moses' day do, and what can we do today? Well, each year on this weekend in May, we, uh, it's been our tradition to celebrate Christian education here at Redeemer. It's the final day for our kids to have classes uh, for youth uh, and to give our students and teachers a break during the summer months. But it's also an opportunity for us today to say thank you to teachers and shepherds and small group leaders and various other staff and volunteers for the excellent ministry of Christian education that goes on here year after year and the dedication and the willingness of of, uh, so many to give of themselves. So today we're gonna focus our attention on this passage of scripture from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And we're gonna be talking about some of the beliefs of the Puritans, Those early spiritual founders in our own country and how all of that relates to building a a strong spiritual life in our own homes. So I invite you to open your lives to the spirit of truth this morning as we seek a new life in Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Loving God in whom we live and move and have our being, dwell with us here in this place today. Transform the landscape of our souls and grant us the nourishment that we need for we are hungry for your truth we are thirsty for real peace in our lives so hear our pray prayer and our praise today and turn us away from evil and prepare us for the life to which you've called us we pray in jesus name amen today we're going to be talking about church begins in the home there's an old saying that goes like this as the home goes so goes the church Everything we believe begins in the home. It's where we learn to worship and pray and sing and read God's word. When Christian homes are strong, the church is strong. But when our homes are weak, the church can't make up the difference. I like the passage of scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where Moses gives God's people these important instructions. He says, these are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy, and you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now verse seven tells us to repeat the commandments of our God to our children. And then the following verses tell us how to do that by talking about God's word all the time. In the morning, at mealtimes, in the evening before we go to bed. We do it by letting our home be so full of the word of God that our children can't help but see it and hear it wherever they go and in doing whatever they do in the New Testament in 2nd Timothy chapter 3 the Apostle Paul tells his young protege Timothy to remain faithful to the things that he has been taught for you know you can trust those who taught you now in this case that means his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice these two godly women had taught Timothy the Word of God from infancy and the same word would make him wise for salvation and would completely equip him to face anything that he needed to face in life. So that brings me to the topic of today, the church begins in the home. Most of what I will share with you in this message is over 300 years old. The concept of the home as a little church was made famous by the Puritans. Just in case you've forgotten your American history, The Puritans were a group of English reformed Protestants in the 16th and 17th centuries who sought to purify the Church of England from all of its Catholic uh, practices. Puritanism, in this sense, was founded as an activist movement within the Church of England. The founders who were exiled under Queen Mary I returned to England shortly after the ascension of Elizabeth I in 1558. But the Puritans were blocked from changing the established church from within. And they were severely restricted in England by laws controlling the practice of religion. So their beliefs were transported by the emigration of congregations to the Netherlands and later to New England in North America. Now the Puritans believed that the father should be the pastor in his home in the same way that an ordained minister pastors the church. One writer called the home the seminary of the church. And the Puritans went so far as to publish elaborate directories of family worship. And they were so serious about this that if the father neglected the spiritual training of his family, he could be brought before the elders of the church and disciplined. He could also be brought before the, uh, the, the elders if he refused to take his proper leadership role, and he could be even barred from the Lord's table. Such a thought seems kind of extreme to us, but maybe because it says more about our laxness than it says about the strictness of the Puritans. It's also worth noting that whenever true renewal has come to God's people, it has always led to a renewal in the family. We can have family worship without renewal, but we can't have genuine renewal, spiritual renewal, without a lasting change in the spiritual atmosphere Of the family and of the home so why is family worship so important and how should we go about establishing that in our homes to answer that question I'd like to offer you today two principles and three suggestions on where to begin and here's the first principle the Word of God is absolutely essential so that our family will know Jesus it is the Word of God the scripture says that makes us wise for salvation in first peter chapter 1 verse 23 it says for you have been born again but not to a life that will quickly end your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of god james chapter 1 verse 18 god chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word in romans ten seventeen, adds so faith comes from hearing that is hearing the good news about christ now if all that's true then we must say that the word of god is absolutely necessary for our salvation and if we want our family to know jesus then we must get the word of god into them but it's not going to happen all by itself maybe this explains why the puritans valued long sermons didn't hear any amens on that so i'll just keep (laughs) right on going Puritans valued long sermons, they valued family worship, they valued catechism, they valued personal meditation, they valued scripture memorization, because they understood that if the word of God is tattooed on the hearts of their children, then they are more likely to come to know Jesus. They thoughtfully planted the seed of God's word, knowing that in time they could trust the Holy Spirit to bring about a harvest of salvation. Let me give you some updated statistics. According to Barner Research, a Christian researcher, only 6% of adult Christians today made their decision to become a Christ follower after the age of 18. That means 94% of all adult Christians today made decisions as children that will follow them throughout their life it's encouraging but it's also scary isn't it that means that the probabilities drop drastically after the age of 18 that a person will choose to follow jesus christ as an adult it also means that there's no time like the present for us to shepherd young hearts Just to get this out of the way I know that everyone must decide to follow Christ on their own and as parents We know we cannot make the decision for our children There are surely many things we can do that will help our children see Jesus as he is and there are also many things that we do Unintentionally often that become stumbling blocks for our children in their spiritual journey Psalm 3 verse 8 says salvation belongs to the Lord and it's not up to us to save our kids we can however live a life with God that encourages our children to go on in their own spiritual journey we will never get it all right if we did we wouldn't need Jesus the point is we're never going to be perfect at doing this and and we don't even need to pretend that we're perfect Uh, the point is to be loving in our hearts both toward God and our children and to pray for God's wisdom and discernment in their lives There's a difference between protection and overprotection as a parent. And spiritually speaking, we need to be uh, on the lookout to protect our children from experiences and impressions that might steer them away from God's love. And we need to be encouraging those things that will lead them to Christ. Richard Baxter, who's a noted English Puritan pastor, said that if parents did their jobs correctly, children would come to know Jesus Christ in the home. And the Sunday service could be used for the conversion of those outside the church. You see, worship within the family in the broadest sense is the ordinary means of family members making a commitment of their lives to Jesus Christ. So here's principle number two. Only the word of God can protect our family from the influence of a pagan culture. Moses understood this principle really well. He knew that once Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land they would be entering a country wholly given over to Canaanite idolatry how would they resist the, the seductive call of the God Baal and in all of his partners it would only happen by adhering to the one true God by loving him supremely by obeying all of his commandments and by impressing those commandments on their children every home must become a place where god's word was talked about and visibly displayed and only then would they be protected so how in the new testament world how would young timothy survive as he ministered in cities like corinth with its temple filled with willing prostitutes not to worry god had given timothy a toolbox called the word of god everything timothy needed was in that toolbox and if he remembered what he had been taught he would uh, find himself fully equipped even in the middle of the prevailing culture of paganism. And you know what? The same is true today. God's word can protect our families and make our children strong, whether they're at school or whether they go off to college or whether they're tempted by so many things in the prevailing culture. If we ignore God's provision for doing this through the word of God, we, we are foolish. We have everything we need in the Word of God, and our task as parents is to impart it to our children, and we must fasten our families to the Word of God. If we don't, they can easily be swept away in the rush of of ungodly influences in the world around them. Now, some of you may not like uh, my saying this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. I believe that too many Christian families have abdicated their responsibility at this very point. We have opened the door to every kind of ungodly influence by allowing our home to have unrestricted internet access, unguided video and game rentals, music that undermines our Christian faith values, television shows that attack the very things we say we believe as Christ followers. And as a pastor, I have a deep concern uh, that too many families are neglecting God's word entirely, either out of ignorance or just simply neglect. When we welcome the world into our homes, we shouldn't be surprised when our children find the world more enticing than the ways of God. But where and how should we begin to instruct our children? I have three suggestions to make. They aren't new, they aren't novel in any sense, but they are time-tested methods that Christian parents have used for hundreds of years. Each begin with the letter S. The first one is song. We need to teach our children to sing the great songs of the Christian faith. That may include time-honored hymns or gospel songs or many of the contemporary songs and choruses of today. But we need to sing to our kids and to our grandkids. Sing with them. Say the words. Have them repeat them. Use videos and downloads and songbooks meant for kids. There's a whole lot of Christian uh, music out there. In the marketplace find christian music and teach it to our children this isn't just good advice it's it's a biblical command do you know that god commands us to learn christian music and teach it to our kids in ephesians chapter 5 verse 19 it says be filled with the holy spirit singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the lord in your hearts This is doubly important in an age when the younger generation is being bombarded with secular music with questionable redeeming value. Here's a novel suggestion. Pay your kids to learn Christian music. We pay them to pick up their room, don't we? Pay them to do chores around the house sometimes. Why not pay them to fill their hearts and minds with good music or with the Word of God? That's how the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon learned so many hymns. If you read his sermons, you will find that they are filled with quotations of hymns that are famous and from some that are not so well known. When he was a young boy in the early to mid-1800s, he went to visit his grandparents, and his grandparents greatly admired the hymn writing of Isaac Watts, who was known for some great hymns like When I Surveyed the Wondrous Cross and others. And his grandmother offered him a penny for every hymn that he could memorize and recite perfectly. And it said that he has memorized so many that she lowered the price to a half a penny. But then his grandfather came along and offered him a quarter for every dozen rats that he would catch and kill in the alleyways near where they lived. And according to Charles Spurgeon, I soon learned that rat catching paid better than him memorizing but the hymns have remained with me while those old rats have all passed away." See, whatever it takes, make sure your kids learn Christian music because those songs are the essence of our faith. The second uh, suggestion is scripture. Many parents use Bible storybooks to read to their children, that's great, and I certainly encourage you to do that. However, I do believe that there is great value in reading the Bible itself with our children. Read the Psalms, read the wisdom of Proverbs. It's important that our children know about the adventures of Samson in the Old Testament book of Judges, or the exploits of David in 1 Samuel, or the parables of Jesus in Matthew's gospel, the growth of the church, in the acts of the apostles. There are so many uh, age-appropriate Bibles for kids, that's why we promote their use in our christian education program here at redeemer take a chapter take a story a day or several chapters a week when our children are young we can do the reading as they get older let them read the bible as we listen and help them with the hard words and whatever it takes make sure that your kids are hearing the word of god at home and if you no longer have kids at home uh... like us you can do the same thing with your grandkids you can do it as a volunteer in our nursery you can do it as as, as supporting our Christian education uh, classes as a teacher or a shepherd. If it's important to you, you'll find a way to make it happen. And then the last um, suggestion is supplication. Supplication is just a big word for prayer. We need to be praying for our kids and with our kids. They need to hear you pray and then uh, learn to pray with you. Our children will learn to pray by listening to us as we speak to the Lord and they will gain a passion from prayer for prayer from us more than any other source there are so many things that a family can pray together for Uh, you can keep a prayer journal you might want to keep a log of your prayers and how God answers those prayers I read about one family who keeps all their Christmas cards in a big basket and during the year they pull out one or two at a time and they pray for those families Other families uh, use the pictures on their refrigerator, you know, to teach their kids to pray for relatives or missionaries or children around the world. But make sure your kids hear you praying for them. This will give them great confidence to know that they are loved and they can bring their own needs before the Lord. Let me leave you today with a story about Richard Mather, who was a Puritan minister back in the 1590s. His son's name was Increase Mather, and his grandson was the famous Boston uh, minister Cotton Mather, who wrote some 400 books and pamphlets about the Christian faith. But in one of his sermons, Richard Mather uh, imagines the voices of lost children who are one day standing before God, and they are speaking to Christian parents who neglected them to help them to know Jesus. Jesus. And while his words may be imaginary, the idea is not totally absurd. Jesus himself said in Matthew 12, 41, that one generation will rise up and condemn another one. So here's what Richard Mather imagines that these lost children will say to their Christian parents as they part company, each going to their eternal destiny. The fact that we do not know Jesus is because of you. You should have taught us the things of God, but you didn't. You should have kept us from sin, and you didn't. You allowed us to be corrupted and didn't hold us accountable, and you never showed us how we might be saved from our sin. It's a sad thing that we had such worldly and careless parents. It's a sad thing that you had no compassion and pity for your own children and that you didn't help us to know the everlasting joy of eternity with God, our Savior. Now, I updated the language of the 1500s just a little, but as you can see, the thought is quite shocking, isn't it? Can there be anything worse than to watch our children grow up and live their life far from God? I do not know if such a conversation could take place, in fact, but I believe that heaven and hell are real places, and that we're all going to spend eternity in one place or the other. And in the end, parents can't be totally responsible for the choices that their children make. All parents know that our children have minds of their own. Sometimes ungodly homes produce spirit-filled people, with apparently godly homes sometimes end up with prodigal sons and daughters. I don't believe we can guarantee what our children will do. But we do have a sacred obligation to impress the Word of God in their hearts and what they do with that is up to them but our responsibility is to tilt the scale in the right direction so that it's easy for our children to believe in jesus and if we will do our part we can trust the holy spirit to use the word of god in the lives of our children but if we are careless and unconcerned we shouldn't be surprised if our children have no interest in the things of god So i'm urging every parent and grandparent and aunt and uncle who's here today to take these words to heart What would god have us do? Perhaps we need to make some changes In this area maybe we need to be proactive and set a time uh, Each day to teach our children the word of god whatever you need to do do not let this moment pass Without committing to make your home a little church that's filled with joy and light where jesus christ is praised and his word is taught if you know you should have started that years ago don't let that thought keep you from doing what you can do now yesterday is gone forever tomorrow may never come today is what we have do what god is leading you to do today and you will be blessed you see the only sin would be to do nothing fathers and mothers you have a sacred responsibility in this area so build your family on the word of god and when the storms come and the waters rise the scripture says your family will be safe because it is built on the solid rock of faith let's pray holy god we are a people who would like to think that we love you with all of our heart and soul and with all of our might But there are so many other things in our lives that clamor for our attention that we often relegate you to just time on Sunday and time when we want you to come and rescue us. So most most of us really do want to be the one in whom, uh, want you to be the one in whom we live and move and have our being. We really do want to hear your voice above all the other voices in our lives, but we get bogged down in the daily routine and we forget who we are and we forget who you are. We forget what the church is supposed to be. So here we are today, standing before you with all of our human frailties, with all of our shortcomings and our short attention spans, and we're asking that you would make yourself known to us, that you would help us to recognize your presence, that you would continue to challenge us and inspire us and make us into the people that you want us to be. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.